forever. Dog. I would get the breakdowns for everything illegally. Take my headshot resume, maybe my reel, which was on a VHS, and then go drop them off around the city. Welcome to Household Faces, the podcast where a character actor interviews other character actors. I'm your host, John Ross Bowie. You might know me from Speechless, The Big Bang Theory, or the Lifetime series American Princess, where I played a duplicitous Renfair employee named Colin. Our guest this week is Cedric Yarbrough. I've known Cedric for over 10 years since we worked together on Reno 911, and since then I've enjoyed his work on, well, Speechless, naturally, but also the Goldbergs and Meet the Fockers. I've enjoyed seeing him improvise with the Black Version, which is a terrific show you should check out if you're ever in L.A. We talk about all of that. We talk about his religious upbringing. We talk about our shared love for musical theater, and we talk about the delicate nature of rebooting Reno 911 in the summer of 2020. Ladies and gentlemen, Cedric Yarbrough. Cedric, thank you so much for for being here. You grew up um, pretty religious in Minnesota. When what is what was some of the first exposure you had to theater? Right out of the gate. Look at you, probing questions right out, <laughs> right out of the gate, man. Yeah, right out of the gate. Jehovah's Witness, if if memory serves, and. Uh, when was the first time you remember going to the theater? Was theater something you did a lot? Oh, no, no, no. Theater was something I did not do at all. We, I mean, with that religion, it's extremely restrictive. We didn't do anything. What, Whatever it was, you know, well, theater, TV, movies, they were called, quote, unquote, worldly. And... Had that, those influences on a young religious mind were a no-no because that, that would make you think, you know, that would make your mind um, expand and we can't have that. Uh, and, you know, I'm, I'm not afraid to, to say, uh, particularly with my religion, but I, I find that with, 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 with some with religion that uh, not knowing certain things kind of, um, you know, keeps you, uh, keeps you close to, to, to the religion. And so it definitely, definitely was with, with uh, Jehovah's Witnesses and, and growing up black in Minnesota and religious uh, with this very restrictive religion was, was very hard to make friends to be social, to, um, I mean, we, we come from the era where we, where we, uh, pledge allegiance, uh, allegiance to the flag every morning. That was something I couldn't do. You know, I had to sit in a corner, um, and wait until that was done, you know, and, and being the only black kid in class, uh, was, it was, uh, it was, it was just, it was fodder for the kids. It was, you know, it's, it's also, you are very other already, you know? And, um, so I remember a lot of that, but yeah, I, I wasn't exposed to the theater, um, not for a while. Uh, the only, the only thing that I really, the, the earliest memory of theater and, Singing, dancing was on television, um, you know, 
Um, so I got my theater through through TV. <laughs> like what? Oh man, my earliest memory of of theater it has to be Seven Brides for Seven Brothers. Getting magnificent, up, magnificent, oh, yeah. Oh man, and and also you know we also grew up in a time where TV was off, turned off at a certain hour. But this one was on at late, late night, uh, you know, maybe two, three in the morning. And my mother would wake me up. She has some mac and cheese or cereal or something. And we just are watching Seven Brides for Seven Brothers. And, you know, her, her love of her love of dance and singing and cinema, you know, is, uh, you know, I'm watching her joy with that, and it's that's 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 it, man. That's the stuff. And I was, you know, my love for food and <laughs> and theater was was fed through that, you know. Um, but that is the earliest memory um, of 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 what that was. That magic of 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 uh, you know romance and uh, movement and and uh people singing and you know and i mean you watch that choreography now goodness man they're killing it killing it i'm i'm sorry i'm giving you such long answers john that's fantastic the more you talk okay. the less i have to um okay. the um it, it's also amazing when you watch those uh those musicals from that era this is like late 50s technicolor seven mm -hmm. brides or seven brothers and you it's all these incredibly long takes, you know, I mean, these kids are not cheating. They are that they are doing whole numbers in front of the camera. They're not breaking it off into little chunks. They are doing whole numbers on a soundstage and it's breathtaking to watch. You got baby Russ Tamblin is in that uh, before West Side Story. He's in there. So so this is great. This is a perfect segue. One of the first things you and I bonded over when we started working together on Speechless was our, our deep uh, affinity for musical theater. And you went on to study that. It was was it actually your was your major musical theater or just theater? It was just theater. Uh, this was at the Minnesota State University. Um, I went to a, a community college first, and I got lucky that they 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 took me under their wing. They saw some of the stuff that I had done uh, in in my uh, community uh, college, and went on to to do you know to study there at uh, Minnesota State, but. It was drama, musical theater, all of it uh, was under one umbrella there. What kind of, I, I, I know the answer to this. I'm blessed that I know the answer to this, but what were some, some of the, uh, cause you got to do some of the big roles, man. You got to do some of the epic roles in, in college, such as. Yeah. Such as um, I did Oklahoma. I did um, uh, Edo, uh, what was his, uh, Hakeem, what is his name? Uh, oh, the, uh, the Ali, Ali Hakim or yeah, Ali Hakim, yes. Uh and then I, I, I my senior year I got to do Sweeney Todd, uh the show Sweeney Todd at, at Sweeney. Um and that was uh that really that that whole thing was a whole uh change in my whole way of thinking about theater and music and appreciation for for what a show can do. Um, that was extremely eye-opening. 
you're you're what you're 22 you're 21 22 and you're playing 20, yeah yeah yes and we're and we're a little bit leaning into why i was uh taken away um you know to to botany bay and uh you know using a little bit of you know um, a little bit of the race issue and and we're diving a little bit into that a little uh just a hint you know a couple hints of that and with that show it kind of uh lent itself for it um but yeah it was uh, that show and endurance and and oh man it was it was just so so cool to do and during this pandemic time i've I've been able to reflect a little bit more on on that, and I'm just I've, I've been leaning more into my love for for Sondheim, you know, because I'm by myself and and being nerdy with it, you know. I just I sent you the other day, you know, um, a song that I'm I'm, I'm digging right now. But uh, I sent yeah. you a beautiful uh, jazz version of "Every Day a Little Death" from a little night music by the saxophonist Gilbert Washington. <laughs> uh, for those of you listening at home, this pops up in my uh, in my uh, in my uh, texts uh, from it could really only be Cedric um, who would who would send me uh, such a thing. Um, yeah, I mean, what's interesting about Sweeney Todd is that it's a horror movie about class uh, on so many fronts. And if you yeah. have, if you have a black Sweeney, that does say a little something extra. I'm going to go out on a limb and suggest that at your college, there was not a massive African-American community. There was not. No, okay. no, it was maybe three of us. <laughs> wow. Yeah. So it really, it really means something to have this guy bent on revenge against a corrupt system played by one of the few black students at the school. It, it really does. And, um, and why the, the wife was, you know, abused and taken away and, and, and the daughter, you know, all of it with, with this judge that is, you know, been, is, is one and, and Beetle who, who, who want to do nothing but, but harm to, to Sweeney and, and why Sweeney is just so vengeful on, not just the judge and beetle, but uh, to society now as a whole, it's not just them. It's every one of you that, that I'm, that I'm, that I'm, I'm trying to get. So, um, but it was, it was such an eye opening experience and, and really, uh, it really, um, lent itself from, for it just, you know, some of those moments that you have as a young actor that, that when someone says yes to you says, yes, go ahead and do it. And it just, it opens up a, a whole other world. Was that the moment where you're like, I want to do this for a living? This is, this is going to be it? I, I'd had that moment before, but th that was definitely, you know, I've been, I've been extremely bitten uh, before that. But this was a moment that was like, yes, I, I felt seen. Um, I felt uh, heard. Um Oh, man, it was just, you know, it wasn't just me. It was the great reviews that I was getting. And, you know, you don't do everything for reviews, but 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 that that kind of acknowledgement within that community, you know, they they were really. Yeah, he's, he's killing it here. You, you need to go see this kid do this, this show. Yeah, it's one of my great regrets that I never got to see you. Uh, do that role in college. Um, I mean, it's really like top <laughs> top three things I'm missing out in this life. Um, perhaps another did chance I, will arrive. 
Did I ever right. share with you? Did I ever share with you the the poster I made? Yes, you or, did, and you're going uh, to share yeah. with me again because when, okay. when this when this when this streams, we're going to use that as promotional material, okay. my friend. Don't Fantastic. don't you fret. Beautiful. Did your um? <laughs> so your mom would have come to see you in these things, yes? Yes, yes. What she, was what? What is that like? You're doing something super worldly here. What is that like for her? I I you know I've never had that discussion with her because it never felt like a a problem for her from my point of view it never felt like she was doing something by supporting me um it never felt like there was an unrest or or something that that she was doing wrong she she was just she was nothing but supportive and and way into it which was which was great you know which is what you want to hear as a as a kid you know that your mom is um you know supporting you um my mother is no longer a jehovah's witness she has uh it's so funny cuz she is not um she's not one anymore she she a couple of years ago now she's she has uh decided to to leave that religion but um you know we talk a little bit about you know some of the beliefs that we you know the belief system that we had before, and it's funny. It's a lot. A lot of the stuff I did on Reno nine one one was because of uh, because of what like we. I chased a lot of Jehovah's Witnesses on that show. <laughs> my God, that's right, you did. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That was that. That was you know. That's my mom right there. You know. That's you sort of exercising your uh, your childhood demons a little yeah. bit. Yeah. 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 What um so are you are you catching up on like birthday celebrations you never had with your mom now and all the other thing Christmases and Easter's and all the other pagan stuff that you weren't allowed to celebrate? It's funny she's still leery on that. I'm all about him, but she you know I I I'll send her things and just you know let her know I'm thinking of you. She's like thank you, thank you very much. I appreciate <laughs> you know in her mom way, but yeah she's not all aboard about that yet. Me, on the other hand, I'm, I make up for my birthdays, boy. I, no, you I love all, a birthday. I, I, oh, I will go all out, man. <laughs> you leave college and do you go straight to do you go straight to Minneapolis? Yes, which is two hours away. Uh, you know, Minnesota State is a southern school. Uh, southern uh, of uh, south in of uh, Minneapolis, and so I go back to uh, Minneapolis, and I'm, um, you know, I'm I'm trying to make my way, and I I go into this uh, this sketch and improv company called the Brave New Workshop, and it's a sister company to Second City, where they teach improv and and sketch comedy, and and um, and I just want to do be able to bring more to scripts, be able to bring more to um, auditions, be able to think more off the, the top of my head, to be able to contribute more, where I felt like I wasn't such a vessel that I had an opinion, you know, as opposed to taking everything in all the time and not, you know, uh, not expressing what who I am. And I think... Uh, particularly that theater uh, was was my 
was that that was that was when I was able to find a point of view. In uh, college, was a lot of filling, a lot of taking in, a lot of information that I needed to know, um, frankly. But improv and sketch was was when I was able to show what I what I thought what what I deemed funny and to see if it works with with an audience and to also make that jump to okay that that works for me my the, what I think is funny is the, what they think is funny that's that's who I am um so I I, I credit that theater uh particularly that theater uh, a lot of, of of what I'm able to do now. Well, it's funny because I, I I feel like a lot of quote unquote conventional theater actors with scripted material would all benefit from improv classes, even if they're not going to go do improv shows. But don't you feel it makes you a sharper listener? Definitely, definitely. I I mean, all all our all of our favorites do it. You know, De Niro, Pacino, Hoffman. They're extraordinary listeners and um that is acting that is it's the rea- it's the reaction the taking in of information and then you know and then and, and then giving your point of view on on the any given topic but yes i i believe that all actors should should take improv improv classes particularly yeah did you did you do some sketch writing at uh brave new workshop I did. I did. We did uh, <laughs> so many weird sketches. Uh, I, I, I am realizing that I'm loath to recall some of the stuff I wrote in my 20s, but I'm going to ask that of you right now. <laughs> okay, yes. It, 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 they, they were terrible, terrible things. There's, you know, some... Uh, uh, there was one that was called uh, Accidental Killer that we ended up becoming Adolescent Killer. And it was a musical about this kid who wanted to. Uh, oh my God! It was just. <laughs> it's it's not it's it, it was very topical and now it's extremely topical about you know with with gun use and and adolescence and all that stuff. But we were doing it in the nineties, and you know as 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 a lark, but also with a message with it. But now it just it would hit too hard, you know. It was just like, ooh, that's that's too close to the bone right now, man. There's there's too many things that have happened where it's it's like rough. We also did a, a sketch called "Sorry About," where there's this guy, weird guy, and we're all watching a baseball game. There's seven of us watching a baseball game, and this guy kind of sees that the the crowd below is kind of a mixed crowd black guy, maybe a gay guy, a woman, and he's just picking on, sorry about slavery. Like, what? What are you... Uh, yeah, I was, just, I was just thinking about it. Like, okay, where did that come from? And he's, sorry sorry about, um, you know, women's issues and how, how we treat... You know, it was just a, a weird guy apologizing for things he had nothing to do with, but it made for an uncomfortable, funny situation. I mean, there's a lot of things that we wrote, but um, yeah, that's it's funny, man. I hadn't thought of those, those sketches in a while. It's fair to say 
looking at your career, stepping back and looking at sort of a macro sense of your career, that you're either drawn to edgy, provocative material or it finds you. I mean, I'm look, you look at Reno, you look at the boondocks, um, which I just uh, is streaming now um, regularly on uh, HBO Max. Um, and I, I urge viewers and listeners to to watch the boondocks. Uh, there, there's there's stuff that quote unquote goes there, stuff that tackles really uncomfortable stuff from a few different angles. Is that something you purposely set out to to look into or does this stuff just kind of fall into your lap? Uh, a little bit of both, um, but talking to you makes me think more of that's that's it's also you know you, you just think about what your influences were and how you rebel um you know and and how my background is was so religious and so uh repressed that a lot of the things that I do are are you know fingers to a lot of a lot of people that I grew up with and exploring those those topics that that are uncomfortable that that um that aren't Minnesota nice uh I I I I like getting into that I like get, like getting into that that muck and um it's I also have had the philosophy of I think it's it's I have a responsibility for a certain brand. Um, I I I grew up with actors and sketch sketch people that are rather snobby, and they didn't like certain things. They hated a lot of stuff, and I feel like I'm also still trying to impress them. You know, like this is. This is shit that my my friends from from Sketch would be like, yeah, there we go, that's it, that that's the good stuff right there, yeah, stick it to yeah, that that fluff. No, we want we want to we want to hear some stuff from you, Cedar. Tell tell them what you what you think, or or write something that that's thought provoking. Um, don't be such a vessel. Since you bring up your your influences, I usually save this question until later, but let's hit it now. Who were some some people? I mean, everyone was cites like the people you just cited, De Niro, Pacino, Hoffman, absolutely, you know, icons. But were there like less popular actors with kind of intriguing careers to you where you're like, oh, that, that seems like a that seems like a doable career track. I could I could do something like that. Something that isn't necessarily, oh, I'm gonna be an icon, but like, oh, that seems like that guy's got has an interesting resume. Were there guys like that for you? Yes and no. I never emulated my career with uh, or 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 felt like I could mirror someone else's career. You know, I I, I was it was always just so, such an awe of of people, but never one that I was like, yes, that's that's who I'm going to be. You know, John Amos. For for one, um, you know, the father on Good Times was to me so funny, so uh, strong, um, could turn on a dime, could make you afraid of him, but was loving, but hilarious. John Amos is such a funny, gifted actor that not many people 
know how good he he was. He was a very funny, just a good character actor from Roots to um, Coming to America, and um, you know he, his roles are are different to a Mary Tyler Moore, um, the Mary Tyler Moore show. He was uh, he was really good. I, I thought you know, and we're talking about Dustin Hoffman and and influences. And we're talking about Seven Brides for Seven Brothers. Tootsie, the movie Tootsie, probably made me want to become an actor. That movie itself. All those actors in that movie, I I swear, I saw that thing when I was in fourth or fifth grade. And it just, that probably was the earliest light for me of, that's that, I think that's what I want to do. That's that's who I want to, you know, for for uh, Hoffman to be an actor in the show, in the movie, and his struggles. But all the the actors within that community were, to me, just just the best man. They were so damn good. That's so funny. That movie scared me off of acting so hardcore. <laughs> For oh, years, because I also saw it when it first came. I'm, I'm like two years older than you, but it, I saw uh-huh. it when it first came out, and I was I was harboring these deep desires to be an actor. And then I saw that, and I remember a moment where Dustin Hoffman is is teaching his scene study class, which he's teaching in his apartment. Which I just noticed on a recent viewing, by the way, he is just he's yeah. in the loft yeah. teaching his students, yeah. which is yeah. a gorgeous detail, <laughs> but. He says something to the effect of like, you got like 85, 90% unemployment. And I was like, wow, those are terrible odds. (laughs) (laughs) Awful. Absolutely awful. The the realistic 12-year-old in me was like, well, that's just not a stable career (laughs) at all. So I I took like 15 years off and tried to figure something else out. And then at 27, I was like, well, I should give it a shot anyway. And I've landed on my feet, but it's, it's so funny. Yeah, people love Tootsie. Because it is such a warts and all portrayal of this line of work. Because you see, you know, Dorothy Michaels hit these incredible heights. But you also see Terry Garr get kicked around. You see Jessica Lang and her nonstop insecurities about the business. You hear, you see Bill Murray's character, Jeff, just throwing it all up. Like, screw it. I'm going to write a thing about the Love Canal. I don't care. Um, so it's this really multifaceted look at this incredibly complicated industry. Yes, but like all of them, except for maybe Jessica and I guess Dustin later, were were all these great character actors. You know, they're all, you know, Charles Durning and and Dabney Coleman. These guys are like some of the best comedic character actors that that have ever been. And oh, that that time where they're finally, you know, Dorothy finally reveals herself, and Charles. Durning is eating an imaginary sandwich and bites his own hands. It makes me laugh so damn hard. It's so Sydney Paul. I mean, what? Ugh. He's so Ugh. good in that film. They're not going to hire you to do anything. They, they aren't going to. He's so good. Yeah. Pollock is the fact that he's doing double duty as director and the voice of of comedic reason in the in the uh, movie is so interesting to me because he's he's us for the first 20 minutes. He's basically our proxy going like you're being completely unreasonable, Michael. No one will hire you. And then he gives himself the best cut because you go right from there to (laughs) to uh, Dustin Hoffman in full drag walking down the street. Um, What is her 
name. She plays the floor director. She is in The Warriors. She died a few years ago. Um, uh, oh, Lynn, God. I'm, Lynn Thigpen? Thigpen. Lynn Thigpen. Lynn Thigpen. Yes. She's fantastic. She's um, fantastic. Uh, George Gaines, may he rest. George Gaines is in there. I'll know. <laughs> Punky Brewster's dad. If you know, I mean that, that's an old reference. I don't know. If, or police. Academy I, I was gonna. Dad, I was gonna say Commander Lassard from uh, Police Academy. So we're both dating yes. ourselves horribly. Horribly. Um, I honestly could do an hour on Tootsie. We won't. I think it's safe to say the big break, the thing that puts you on people's radar is, is probably Reno 911. You had a resume before then, but Reno really established you. Um, it's this amazing opportunity where you're going to get to everything you just talked about. You're going to use all the stuff you're filled up with and have a point of view because you're doing – it's a predominantly improvised show. Mm-hmm. How, how is your audition process? Did I hear you mailed in a VHS tape? Is that correct? That That is absolutely correct. I, uh, I had a – terrible manager when I moved to Los Angeles when I first moved to LA where I would get the breakdowns for everything illegally and then I would take my headshot resume maybe uh my reel which was on a VHS and then go drop them off each and every day wherever they were located around the city (laughs) And if, if, you know, for those that are familiar with Los Angeles, it takes you all day to go to one place to one other. And, um, but I would do that during the day. And then in the evening, I, I worked at Buca de Beppo or P.F. Chang's or the, uh, Museum of Contemporary Art, um, was what I was doing. But for what Reno, you, wait, what were you doing? What were you doing? Uh, what were you doing down at Mocha? I was, uh, wait, there was a little cafe there. That I would open up on, uh, usually on the weekends, but sometimes I would do it during the during the week if I wasn't working at uh, you know my other jobs. But there was a little cafe that I alone had to do pretty much. It was one a cook and me, and we had this little place, and it was absolutely awful because everyone had the 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 idea of of coming down there on Saturday. Uh, day. Why don't we all go to uh, the museum? No one's down there right now. And everyone was there. And so, and everyone was hungry and everyone wanted to sit down. And it was hell. And I was a terrible waiter. I was not good at all. Um, but, uh, but that was my life during then. And during Reno, or when I auditioned for Reno, it was uh, one of those deals where I, I saw it on, on an audition form and was hoping that they would look at my reel and a lot of my old sketch stuff was on that was on that VHS tape and they looked at it opened it up and they said this guy's a weirdo let's at least look at him let's see him in person and I auditioned with an Aaron Neville impression where I had a Reese's peanut butter cup that I had peanut butter on the cup and put it on my head for his mole and then I, <laughs> and then I, uh, I wore a baby gap vest because Aaron Neville's shirts were always way too tight. 
and I could really show off my body. And then I just yodeled, and they were they fell in love with with the young Cedric. I, I love how you think you're not going to do your Aaron Neville impression right now because you're fucking doing your Aaron Neville impression right now. Look at this face. I'm so the years are showing. Look at this life. I keep getting I don't know much. But I know I love you. That may be. <coughs> Wait. Be, be. There we go. Be all I need to know. So, um. Oh my God. I'm convulsing over here. I can't. I'm trying not to laugh too hard. I'm, I'm like hiding from my microphone so I don't get any interference. I wanted as clean audio as we possibly could then. This yeah. is the thing I always remember. I'm honestly, I swear to God, I'm not just saying this because you're my friend and you're doing the podcast. When on the occasions that I got to do Reno 911, you were always the one I had the hardest time holding it together in front of. I don't know what it was, but there was like this. <laughs> Because, you know, like John Amos, there's this sort of vulnerable authority about you. Like you're, you're, you know, you're a tall guy, you're kind of imposing, but you've got this like this childish quality. And the, the that contrast cracks me up consistently. <laughs> it just always lays me out. Oh, well, thanks, man. Well, that's a, we were, I mean, talking about great character actors, I put you up there too, um, which was such a fun, great thing to do on that show was I got to absorb and steal from some of the our best generation of 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 character actors um between the two of between us two we've we've gotten a chance to work with a lot of really great uh character actors but you uh, i I was just watching an old episode of you and jamie your wife uh and you, you guys, you guys, you guys are. Uh, your daughter is missing, and oh she. It is so so funny. Uh, and it was uh, she was uh, like a a miss. Uh, it was like a little miss whatever pageant. Um and and she's missing, and you guys uh, changed her name and. They want they want to put out an Amber alert, and I remember Jamie saying, "How did how did Amber get that gig? How can yeah. my daughter not? Oh my god, it is yeah. so funny." She did not uh, warn me that she was going to say that. The deal was that <laughs> we're going to put out an Amber alert for your. It, it, the running gag that we had on the show is that Jamie and I were the, were awful parents of a pageant <laughs> child, and our our kid kept running away, but we kept thinking she was abducted. And yeah. nine times out of ten, she was safely with the police. We're going to hang on to her and try to save her for a little bit. Um, that one particular episode you're talking about, uh, Lennon announces that they're going to set out an Amber Alert. And Jamie's like, oh, could we make it a Megan Alert? Like, well, no, it has to be an Amber Alert. And she goes, how did how did Amber get that gig? And that's... And that's basically why we're, we're still married, low these 17 years later, is because of moments like that. Um, yeah, that show was just, it was, I always tell people it was the show was the most fun booking. It was great, but even auditioning for it was fun and auditioning can suck. 
Um, but even auditioning for Reno was a really good time just because it was such a, um, a festive welcoming atmosphere. Yes. That I, I, uh, I agree. Tom, Ben and Carrie are some of the best people to audition for. They are, um, they're a great audience. Uh, they love to laugh. They love actors. And when you come in with an original idea or an idea at all, they love to kind of work with you and try to figure out what, what we, how we can best use you, um, and, and, and bring out the best qualities in what you're ever, whatever you're bringing. And, you know, that, you know, with the show being an improv show, it's a yes and show, but with cops, it's always no. So we've always talked to our, you know, we talked to our actors to say, we're going to say no, but you do everything you want to do. And we'll just play, you know, like a little cat and mouse and try to keep you in parameters, but please do whatever you want to do. And I, 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 uh, I, I love doing that show because, you know, we, we, we do have such great actors, but to see them, to see people just play and go in their element and do whatever the hell they want to do. It's always just, it's just fun. It's, it's, you know, it's great just watching, you know, people go. The, it, that's an interesting contradiction I've never really thought about. The The job of a police officer, even a comedy police officer, is to maintain <laughs> law and order. Um, yeah. And to and that means a lot of denying. <laughs> that just means a yeah. lot of, no, I will, I will not no. heighten your idea, Nick Swanson. Yeah. No, and, uh, <laughs> no. Get down from there. Don't do that. Don't. No, no. A lot of that. And it's just, no, don't listen to Cedric. It, you do, please, go, 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 go. I, I have to ask, it has to be, when you guys rebooted last year, um, I mean, it's a hell of a year to come back and start doing comedy cops. That is a, that is a, uh, it's, it's, there's no getting around the fact that it's a pretty loaded environment in our, in our current uh, social landscape to be doing buffoon cops you had to be mindful of that to a certain extent, right? Oh man, I I was going to quit the show. I was done. Yeah, I I I was like, no, I I can't do this. This is, um, you know, how do you want to take money and do a show about police officers when? nothing <laughs> it, it just feels like nothing is, is redeemable about about this profession right now especially coming from minnesota um where i see myself very much in george floyd's um circle or or who he was you know i'm a taller black man in minnesota from minnesota and i've been pulled over many a time out there I've been harassed a lot out there. Uh, I've been very fortunate that I just wasn't in that particular situation that, that Floyd was. And I, uh, I, I, I spoke with my cast members about, you know, I, I just don't think I want to do this anymore. I think, I've, I think I've said what I need to say about the show, what I've done with the show. Um, and I just don't find it funny. I don't, I don't find this funny. I don't find this fun. I don't, I'm not inspired to, you know, wah, wah, 
you know, make it, make, make jokes about this shit anymore. And, um, I'll attribute niece to Niecy Nash, particularly when I spoke with her, she felt like, you know, if you, if you leave, you're not able to stay in the conversation. You're not able to change those points of view, at least express how you feel um, when it comes to this. Because we've always talked about all kinds of stuff in that show. We've, we, we've, we've talked about the abuse of, of power. We've talked about um, uh, the racism, the you know sy- uh, systemic um, problems that that law enforcement have. Um, and so, uh, you know, speaking to her and then to all the cast members really made me feel like, you know what, I, I should, I should, uh, I should do this. I can continue to do this and, and I can, um, I can, I can do the show without feeling like I'm betraying some sort of, <laughs> betraying humankind, betraying who I am as a black person, betraying my, uh, you know, who I, who I want to be, who I, who I feel I am. Um, and that is also, you know, uh, (laughs) it's, it's part of being a responsible actor, part of being a responsible human being. Some things you can't do, some things you, you shouldn't do. Um, you know, and I, I'm, I still think about that. You know, am I making the right decision doing the show? Um, I've never had any black, uh, it really any plaque. Uh, People know, realize it's a improvised uh, comedic take on on law enforcement. I've never uh, gotten any backlash of, of of people saying, you know what, you, what you're doing is wrong. This is awful. People get what the show is, but still, as a human being, you have to, I feel, look at what you're doing and and assess that way. So, you know, I've been pulled over in Minnesota, and I had a rental, and they were wondering why, why where I was driving. You know, where where are these Ohio plates from? Where what are you what are you doing? And Holy shit, aren't you? You're Reno 911, aren't you? You you are Reno 911. Um, well, yes, I am Reno uh, So uh, sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't. But um, it was funny. It was, uh, but also true that I, I was able to go to those cast members and and they rallied around me. They held me, they held me down and, and were able to say, yes, we, we get it. Your decision is your decision. Whatever you want to do, we're here for you and we'll figure it out. You know, they were very supportive in whatever I wanted to do, which was great. Really early on in the run of Speechless, the show we did together for, uh, for, three, for three glorious years, there was yes. an episode called Inspiration Porn. Uh, and it's, had you heard that phrase before, Inspiration Porn? I had not. I had not either. I had not either. Um, that, that, that was a new one for me. 
So the idea of inspiration porn is that oftentimes the media will use disabled people solely as sort of a storytelling tool to inspire the lead to overcome their meager difficulties. Because if X in a wheelchair or X who can't see can do it, then anybody can do it. And it sort of robs these disabled characters of, of their dimensionality a little bit. And that reminded you of something else. And that's kind of what the what the episode turned uh, turned into. Mm -hmm. Uh, It reminded me of the I mean, when it comes to minorities, particular minorities, there are these tropes that we we all have to kind of um, kind of go through. And mine was the, the magical Negro, the all knowing black man, the omniscient black person that comes from out of nowhere and is uh, there to cure all and knows all and then is not very interested in himself, but whatever whatever the white person that needs the help, help them and then magically goes away somehow. We've seen these in, you know, the legendary Bagger Vance and all kinds of movies we've seen this stuff in. And uh, speaking to Scott Silveri, who created Speechless and uh, wrote the show and has um, had a brother who who had CP, uh, he was so brilliant and so open that I also told him about what this is also, uh, you know, in the black community and black actors and and folk, you know, and the you know some of the, the things that we've had to do. Uh, this is also part of our, um, you know, th- this is also a trope that we we also have gone through. And he was he was so welcoming into that world and and including it into the show, which was I, I was just so thankful to have someone who listened to us and and got like okay that experience i don't know about it but thank you for introducing it let's let's put this into the show they they uh you know inspiration porn and the magical negro aren't are not the same but they're cousins they're definitely related they are you know they're part of this tribe of weird Let's incorporate both of those into the show, and I thought it was one of our, you know, it was really, really cool because we we got some something we had something to say, you know, we had a like I say a, a point of view. That that the tag of that episode has you walking down the school hallway <laughs> with Mason and Micah, who played my son, who uses a wheelchair, just narrating everything that you see. <laughs> And then, because what I loved about the show is that it was it was marketed as this sort of heartwarming family comedy, but the show itself was absurd and weird and occasionally boldly surreal. You fucking vanish at the end of that tag. You literally and you and your voice lingers to, and you say something to the effect of "If he was ever really here." Yes, yes, it was. Yeah, we we're, we're going down the hall. And like that, that kid wears that shirt every day. And that couple, they're they're making out, and that kid will never ever become anything. <laughs> Maybe old uh, Kenneth will 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 ride like the wind, or something 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 crazy that they 
they had me do and it was it was so much fun man that that show uh we could get weird that way it was just funny funny writing we got to work with ins- we had an insanely great cast members coming on. We had Keith David played your dad, another one of my favorite character actors in the world. Um, which was funny about who was going to play my dad. Do you remember that story? Uh, I was Smokey Robinson in the mix. Am I crazy? You are not. And it it was it was crazy that he was going to. Be in the show. He's going to play my dad. They needed a singer. They needed a singer. But he's never acted in his life. Have you ever seen him act in a show? I think that was part of the reason why he kind of backed out. Um, Anyway, it did not please Mr. Scott Silveri at all. But Keith David came in at the very last minute and and he he killed it. so good, man. So good. We had just yeah. incredible, incredible guys with incredible resumes coming in uh, uh, through that that whole uh, process. Speaking of of great roles, we're 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 wrapping up here, and I like to ask because um, I, I we're interviewing people who have uh, re- like everybody on the show so far has got a really thick resume, hundreds of credits. Um, but everyone's got their tale of, of heartbreak and woe. Is there a role that just got away that you thought like, this is it, this is mine. And then it just didn't work out. Can you tell us about that? And that is so funny because I, I, I'm not that kind of person. I don't think in terms of that, I, if I, if I don't get it, I know I, I just, I'm more positive. I'm, Sorry, I have to move on. I I oh, I've can't. Got, wa- I've... <laughs> go ahead, go ahead, go ahead. No, I've I've currently got the one really balanced actor in the entire town on on the yes. phone right now. So that's well, good the, for you. <laughs> the thing is, I can't wallow in it or I die. The the I mean the last the the thing that I can remember that I that I didn't get was probably the last thing that I didn't get. It was an Apple show. Um, God, it was both. They were both produced by Apple. An Apple show that Maya Rudolph is going to be doing um, that I thought, me and Maya, oh, my God, come on, let's go. What? what? Let's do this. And had my, my, my producer session, and, and now we do it all on Zoom. You know, it wasn't in person. We did it here. And, uh, and it didn't go. And then I also had another one with... Um, a new movie with uh, that Ryan Reynolds and and Will Ferrell are producing called Chili, and I had a really great producer session and gone nothing, and that just happened in the last couple of weeks here. So like those are the my those are the fre- those are fresh wounds that I thought yes I'm I'm getting that. But I guess historically, one big one was in the 40-Year-Old Virgin, I auditioned for the kind of the Best Buy manager. Um, and I, and it, was, it was going to be me. I, I booked that role, and then it just got snatched away by um, Jane Lynch. You Jane Lynch. Jane Lynch. I lost the role to Jane Lynch. 
that and, can't be the first time. You guys must go out together all the time. You guys must because constantly running out her on the same sign-in sheets, right? But really, look what happened with Jane after that. She soared. She went off. She she has continued to be Jane Lynch. Am I terribly mistaken, or did you do you not have a role in Forty Year Old Virgin? You have a smaller role. I in, do. Uh, I have a yeah. They they did take pity on me. They were like, we still like him. He's just not as good as Jane Lynch. We'll we'll put him in a we'll put him in in somewhere else. But God, see another amazing uh, character actress, Jane Lynch. She's so good. She's so funny, and she's so great in that in that role. But they were they were right, and see that's how I, that's why I'm like I, I can't I don't feel bad because she's really 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 good. I was gonna ask you, are you one of those actors that if you lose out on a role, you can't watch the movie or the project? No, I think okay. maybe early on I, yeah. I was definitely, but you just, you, life goes on and you just, it's, it's just too darn short, you know, to, to yeah. rob yourself of, of a good movie. And I, and I, I honestly don't, I, I don't want to frame the question as like, what keeps you up at night? What eats you alive? Because that isn't, that honestly isn't how I feel. I, um, yeah. uh, I, I do not think I would have been a particularly good Dwight on the office. Um, uh, I think, I, I think Rain Wilson brought something incredibly special to that part. And so I, yeah. he, he has my blessing and he may go with God. Um, but it is always <laughs> interesting to like, for people to kind of put together the alternate timeline where, you know, uh, maybe then, uh, Cedric is the cheerleading coach on Glee. Who knows, man, who knows where it goes from there? Um, yes, you're right. <laughs> you're right. You're right. Yeah. Who knows? Who knows? You are in the office though. Wow, that think of that. That would have been super cool, dude. That would have been great. You as I auditioned, dude. I auditioned for Dwight. Then they sent me out into the hallway with sides for Jim, and they called me back. I never did an episode of The Office, but I drove up to Van Nuys to audition three more times after that pilot. Um, uh, and you know, and I it was one of those things where. If you've been on the other side of casting, if you've ever like been in charge of giving someone a job, you know what an inexact science it is. And you know that like, like that guy's great. He's not this part, but that guy is great. And which is why I always encourage like if people can be readers or if they can sit in on auditions and uh, and and get a uh, get a sense of the various takes that people can have on one particular role, you yes. start taking it a lot less personally. Yes, yes, definitely. And it rolls off your back with a, a a lot more ease, and definitely. Um, and it's 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 helped me uh, sort of ease into a a calmer middle aged era of of acting, uh, which I'm I'm digging a lot. <laughs> right. Yes, and you don't take it so personally as as much anymore, and and say you know what? Okay, they, these are moving parts that uh, you you have no control over anyway. So. Stop. Leave it alone. Move on. Move on. Oh, Move oh, you're end with on. Don't bother with something. You got to move on. Come on, burn it at Peters. Ah, oh, the best. Ah, oh, I got to meet her backstage at that last revival of Follies. Swoon. Shut up! Oh what? my you god. Did? 
I, a, a friend's dad played Dimitri Weissman. My friend, okay. uh, my friend's father, uh, a great actor named David Saban, was Dimitri Weissman. I said, David, I want to come see the show. He goes, come backstage afterwards. You'll meet Bernadette. And I was like, huh, no. And so I go backstage and I. Well, is this on. Is this on Broadway or is this uh, is this, this was out here? This was on Broadway. This is when they did oh, it on Broadway, like oh. whenever it was, nine or ten years ago. And yeah. um, I was just my knees buckled. I just wasn't even just to be around that energy was just yes. transporting. <laughs> so she's gorgeous. She's gorgeous. I was just watching her and Elaine Stritch when they took over for Angela Lansbury and um, uh, for a little night music. Yeah, sure. Um, Yes. Uh, oh, is there is there video of that? There's video of it. It's not mm. great video. Right. It's on YouTube, but it's you know it's it's worth a you know that you could you could watch a little bit of it and and get oh her sending the clowns. Yeah. Yo, yeah. <laughs> yo, you get now you a lot of people love that that song. I never understood it and until I knew what the context of it was within the within the show I'm like okay that makes sense it's not about clowns at all the judy collins yeah <laughs> with the clown hanging around it's not that at all it's it's no, about... no it, it's uh the the context is everything with that number once you have it in yeah. the right context it just shatters your heart listen when theater yeah. comes back you and i are going to go see a bunch of theater together and i'm going to fall asleep in every one of them that's right. You do that. You do that. We went to go see I, Importance I, of Being Earnest in London, and you dozed off, and, and Kyla had to uh, elbow you awake. I snore. You do. Apparently. It's okay. Yeah. yeah. You get a weird yeah. sleep schedule. Cedric, thank you so much for doing this. John, I love you. It was good to see you, buddy. Thank you for having me. This is fun. And that is an episode wrap on Cedric Yarborough. You can follow him on Instagram and Twitter at Cedric Yarborough. And you should try to listen to him sing if you ever get a chance. Forever Dog. Household Faces is a Forever Dog production. Executive produced by John Ross Bowie, Brett Boehm, Joe Cilio, and Alex Ramsey. Produced by Ben Blacker. For more original podcasts, please visit foreverdogpodcast.com and subscribe to our shows on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Keep up with the latest Forever Dog news by following us on Twitter and Instagram at Forever Dog Team and liking our page on Facebook. Until next time, when's lunch? Mm-hmm.